Hello, friends, and welcome to the next episode of the Diabetes Variable series with me and Jenny Smith. This is episode 526 of the Juicebox podcast. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. On today's episode of the podcast, Jenny and I will be talking about the quality of the food you eat and how that is a variable in your use of insulin. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Don't forget, if you're interested in Jenny professionally, she works at integrateddiabetes.com, and you can hire her. Last little bit here, if you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip series, which, by the way, also includes Jenny Smith, they begin at episode 210 or are available at juiceboxpodcast.com and at diabetesprotip.com. There you'll also find the Defining Diabetes series, the How We Eat series, the Variables series, and all of the other episodes of the Juicebox podcast, including ones about algorithm pumping and some of my favorite, the After Dark series. Before we get started, I just want to briefly remind you that if you're a U.S. resident with type 1 diabetes or a U.S. resident who is the caregiver of someone with type 1, I would love it if you would check out t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Consider answering the short survey there. Your answers may help diabetes research grow. It's super simple to do, completely HIPAA compliant, 100% anonymous. It only took me a few minutes. You can do it from a laptop, phone, anywhere you get on the internet. Your answers to those simple questions will support research that may help you or someone you love. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. Hey, Jenny, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited to talk about something that I think people are going to get upset at me about. So oh, um, no. <laughs> we're going to do a variable today uh, about type 1 diabetes using insulin. And I'm picking the topic of the quality of the food you eat. So... Mm. um. I, I, I feel like it's incumbent upon me to start with, I know I am the person who tells you you can eat whatever you want as long as you understand how to use the insulin. Um, you know, I, I do want to tell you that I believe that wholeheartedly. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that certain foods don't make things more difficult. It It doesn't mean that, you know, you're having a meal that you're using 15 units of insulin for when you could have had a different meal that might have used four units of insulin. Like that's not, that, that's not in dispute. And I'm also not, I, I am not judging anyone about how they eat. I think that's fairly obvious if you listen to the entire podcast. Um, but it is a variable of using insulin. It's a diabetes variable. And the truth is that it is easier to bolus for something natural than it is to bolus for something that isn't. Um, what do and you I see think that's a good, um, I think that's a, that's a really good statement. I think the word easy 
I use it lightly in terms of like diabetes management. Easier. Easier. But in terms of more natural or simple food versus more processed or like complex nature of something that's been put together um, in a processing or a processed type of way, a food that's simple like an apple is just an apple right? It's mostly carbohydrate in terms of like macronutrient content, right? We've got Mm. carbs, proteins, and fats. An apple is mostly carbohydrate. And because of that simple nature of one nutrient, you have what we use and the human body makes, insulin, that works Cleaner isn't the right word, but it works in a more simple way around a simple food. (laughs) It has this effect. It should go this way. Your blood sugar should do this and it should return down here if your insulin dosing strategy is right. Okay. Right. Whereas if you do something like my father-in-law loves apple dumplings, Mm -hmm. like they're in, it's completely, is it still a lot of carbohydrate? Absolutely. More than the apple. But there's also other stuff in that that adds a complex nature to your strategy of management after you eat it. Right. So I have uh, zero education on this. But I think if we attack this from a common sense uh, approach, the world's bigger, right? You know, there, uh, there used to be a time where everybody in the the, the village you lived grew the food that everybody in the village right. ate, right? So you'd, you'd grow food, you'd pick food, you'd eat food, that's it. People right. people started noticing that if you left food lay around, it would rot and be gone. They started finding ways to keep it better. Longer. Preserved. Right. Well, we, yes. Right. Eventually, refrigeration happens, uh, salting meats to slow down, et cetera, et cetera. Point is, is that we now do it chemically. So... If anybody, everybody has to try that thing where you buy a McDonald's cheeseburger and then stick it on your, I don't know, windowsill, countertop, and leave it there for a year. And And it doesn't mold. And notice that it still looks like a McDonald's cheeseburger, right? Only really dry. I don't think we usually curse in these episodes, but that shit's kind of scary. So, um, you know, like, that's fascinating is what it is. So there are so many preservatives in some foods and the idea is to keep it from degrading but again if you apply common sense to that that would mean that it makes it incredibly difficult for your body to break down as well um yeah that's the idea right and and simply speaking talking about type 1 diabetes that keeps the food in your stomach longer which allows the leaching into your blood longer, right? The carbs are leaving it. It's coming out of sugar. The sugar is going into your blood. It's more difficult to bolus a processed food than it is unprocessed food. I mean, yes. it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's my, it is my finding over the last 15 years of, right. of watching our need food better. And I think quantity and what you add up in a day too on one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, you know, I see it the most in like, vacation days versus eating at home. Mm -hmm. Right. People go on vacation and they're like, 
yeah, but I had pizza and I know how to bolus for it at home. Well, what's the difference? You homemade your pizza, you know what went into it. It's just, you know, flour and baking powder and whatever else or baking soda and you make a crust and you put the stuff on top of it. Now you go out and who knows what they made it with and how they put it together and what they grilled their fries in and what the company they bought it from put in it so that they could ship it across the country, et cetera, et cetera. Also, Jenny, I don't want to be a stickler, but uh, pizza dough is water, salt, flour, and yeast. Nothing else. And yeast. There you go. See, I don't don't usually make real pizza dough. I usually make like a cauliflower crust or like an almond flour. So my ingredients are a little different. I definitely understand that. I just don't – I don't want people to think I don't know how to make pizza dough. Uh, (laughs) I know you've got a pizza oven. I do. It's quite nice. And uh, (laughs) – And the truth is, is that the pizza dough I make by hand, my body processes better than one I would buy pre-made at a store or anything I would buy even from a local uh, place. So, um, and then we run into, pizza is such a great example because the difference between some, some guy that owns a shop in New York who's making the dough by hand using salt, water, flour, yeast and you going to any number of Little Caesars, Pizza Hut, like those kinds of places that are spread across the country. I mean, that's not really pizza. That's a that's a baker and a chemist getting together and trying to approximate pizza for you, right? And a lot of the reason, like you said, it's because of a preservative nature that's needed, right? Yeah. I mean, in general, there may be some corner shop mom and pop pizza place that home makes everything like you're going to get it on the street in somewhere in Italy. Right. Right. Um, But typically much of the pizza shop stuff has been pre-made shipped frozen. They might do the rolling out and that kind of, but it still has to have preservative in it. And again, it leads into the like, how much of that is, are we kind of over and over and over daily putting into our body? There's a lot of processing. If people were looking at labels, there are a lot of ingredients you can't read. Right. Right. And and you sound like a, listen, I'm not unaware. You start talking like this. Most people are like, Oh, great hippie. I'm glad you Mm -hmm. have, I'm glad you have a ton of time to grow cabbage in your backyard. I don't like, and, and I'm not saying that I don't understand that. But you can't not understand it. You can't sit there staring at a blood sugar going, I don't under, I don't know what happened. This doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like this, this, you know, 10 carbs, one unit, that's the ratio always works. But now suddenly you're like you said, you're you're out of a restaurant. I mean, there's a reason restaurant food tastes good. It's like so much other stuff in it. <laughs> and, you know, like um, it just is really there's no doubt, I guess I should say that the days I'm most proud of how good I am of using insulin are usually reflective of the days that Arden's eating the poorest because it really tests my abilities, my, my skills. Yeah. Yeah. Like yes. when you, when you get up on a summer day and somebody's like, Oh, we're going to go to the, I don't know. We're going to the pool and which we, which we do four times a year, which is so funny that I picked that as an example, but you know, you stop, right. <laughs> you stop and you grab all this food, you have a big lunch and four or five hours later after baking in the sun and sitting around, people are like, Oh, we should order wings. You, you know what right. I mean? Like any, and you, these things start piling on top of each other. Right. So I, even I, my husband says the same thing. We actually, we've been in the pool all but like 
five days this summer. Mm-hmm. So we've been in the pool a lot. A lot. <laughs> but the days that are like a weekend day where we're actually spending like a couple of hours there or yeah. whatever, my husband always says the same thing. He's like, now I'm hungry for something that's like salty and crunchy, yeah. right? He's like, I don't know what it is, right. the hat and the whatever. Yeah. So no, I, I've, I've looked up on days and, and, Kelly's like, we're getting Chinese for dinner. And I think to myself, like, didn't they have nachos for lunch? Like, you know, I'm like, all right. <laughs> then I feel myself like focusing in. I'm like, I need a, I need like a diabetes Adderall. Like I got to really focus here for a second. <laughs> like, how am I going to leave nachos and go into Chinese and then get her to bed? Like, there's a lot that goes into that. There is. And, and, and so again, there's no judgment from me, but you have to understand if you're listening that the quality of the food you're eating is going to impact how it how it works. And right. you know, super simple. Like, you know, your carb ratios that work well for natural foods might not work well for other foods. And that's why in the pro tip series we talk about being flexible and understanding the different impacts of different foods, etc. But the right. but this is a I mean it's a serious thing. It's worldwide mostly. Everyone has access to food that's been treated with something or has ingredients in it that's meant to keep it shelf stable longer. And well, it makes it harder for your body to deal with. Gvoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages two and above. Not only is Gvoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. Everyone has access to food that's been treated with something or has ingredients in it that's meant to keep it shelf stable longer. And well, it makes it harder for your body to deal with. Well, and I think, you know, in terms of like going the distance in this conversation too, I even like, I try out like different like diets, right? I hate calling them diets just because they come out and I'm like, ah, let's see what that does, right? (laughs) Just to do something different. And I mean, overall, I consider the food that I eat and I feed to my family and whatnot, pretty clean food. I mean, we don't have a lot of processed kinds of stuff. I mean, we've got like canned beans because they're a lot more convenient than soaking the beans. Right. right? right. Um, but at, overall I did, this is a couple of years ago. I did the whole 30 diet. Okay. And I'm sure you've heard of that. Right. It's like a, it's like a 30 days of like a reset. It's essentially completely grain free. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's non-processed at all. Right. Um, I think one of the most processed things is probably like coconut oil or something like Mm -hmm. that on it. Right. But doing that for a 30 day time period, even compared to what I typically do, dropped my insulin needs and made it very clearly visible insulin action and insulin need based on literally no processed anything. Really? Yes. So even you who Listen, for people wondering, Jenny and I see each other while we're doing this, and there are times I think the camera goes on and she's just like, "Oh, hideous monster!" Uh, like when she's because she's super healthy. 
Um, oh, that, that's so natural. No, no, no. But but I, I still like, listen, my birthday was this week and they bought me like a little ice cream cake, which is a holdover oh. from my childhood. Right. And so yes. everybody, everybody gets like a piece of ice cream cake. And then there's this like little voice in my head that's like, the rest of this is mine. You people stay away from it. And <laughs> <laughs> It's my birthday. Yeah. I live this long, not you. Um, and so, and and I know in my head, like I'm going to revert to a small child and have a piece of ice cream cake every day for three days until it's gone, y- you know, and I don't know what is in ice cream cake, but part of me believes it's not ice cream. <laughs> but it's darn tasty, isn't um, it? In fact, my, the funny thing about that is that when my husband and I got married, mm-hmm. he, he, for our my first birthday, like married, he really wanted to make me a cake, okay. but he's he's not a baker. <laughs> uh, a, he can cook. He's right. just he's not a baker. Um, so he bought me an ice cream, like a mini, like it was just us, right? Yeah. It was one of those tiny little ice cream cakes that probably was like four servings, and I think we ate it over like two weeks because it was like my favorite part of the ice cream cake is that crispy, crunchy, like, co- I don't know what's the in, the in the middle. I, it's it's not food. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not food. I don't cookies. know where it was made, but it's good. <laughs> so, so, you're, so I have one more thing to bring up, but let's finish this thought. We had an entire conversation where we sat around and said, rate the parts of the ice cream cake. And it's so funny. It's not even, it's just, so it, is it the, like, the decorative icing around the corners, Ugh, which is gross. clearly that not ice Is it the vanilla is it the cookie? I'm making air quotes. The cookie in the middle, or the chocolate? And everyone rated the parts of the ice cream cake differently as to That's what their funny. favorite part was. My son throws it up on um, I, I Snapchat, I think, to his friends, and he's like, "I've got nine responses. None of them are the same yet <laughs> for people's That's favorite funny. parts of the thing." Uh, I want to add here. Um, I'm not the healthiest person in the world, uh, but I have made a change in my life that I have found to be impactful, and I think it fits in here. So. I saw a woman on a television show once, which is the best way to make um, health decisions <laughs> next to listening to a podcast. Um, and uh, she said, don't eat canola, corn, cottonseed, soy, sunflower, safflower, grapeseed, or rice bran oils. Just don't use those oils. And I thought, well, I use canola oil and corn oil like sometimes i use sunflower oil okay so i just cut them out of my diet i just thought like like you said with the 30 diet i was like let me see what happens so i cut them completely out of my diet if i cook with and i need oil i only use cold pressed non-fermented olive oil or butter right those are the only two things i'll cook with in a pan and I can't tell you that my life magically changed, right? Like I didn't like suddenly I wasn't a foot taller or anything like that. I right. did, but but here's the biggest thing that I noticed. If I got kind of like, ooh, she didn't say peanut oil. I'll have some like like I'll pull out a deep fryer and make some chicken nuggets or something like that. Or we'll go to a bar and I'll get wings or something. The minute I add in one of those other processed oils, you might as well just, wherever I am to the bathroom, decide that I'm on my way to that situation. Because while I haven't had some great impact by removing them, what I realized has happened is I've stopped taxing my body in a way that it wasn't prepared for. So, like, I'm giving my body a job with this oil 
that it's barely keeping up with. And right. and so I don't know that that's quantifiable for people, but I think of that as cu- when you're thinking of foods to cut out of your life, like just because your body processes processes it doesn't make it good. Like I could eat a rock and it right. might come out the other end, but right. I shouldn't do that. But and, it's not good for you. Well, yeah. That, and at right? some point yeah. you're going to tax yourself to the point where your body's going to be like, yo man, listen, that's the last rock I can get out of here. And, and I just think that, you know, that's what I saw with the oil. So you can yeah. eat oils or don't, I don't care. But I'm saying that when I stopped taxing my body with them, I noticed that my body was happier and my body showed me that it was unhappy when I tried to give it back. Well, and you know, the other thing too, that you probably would bring into that, given this conversation is that a lot of our processed foods contain those types of fats because they're processed, Mm -hmm. they're processed and broken down um, from these plants that would not naturally, like it wouldn't be visible that they would be an oil that we would use, right? In fact, it's only like these haven't been available. They weren't available until like the 20th century, right? Where we finally had enough technology or different types of machines that we could take these oils out of these products and use them. And we found that they had a very good preservative nature. We Mm -hmm. could add them to things. They had shelf stability. Um, But are they things that we should be eating a lot of? No. In fact, most, in fact, if you're looking just at canola oil alone, most of the resources kind of show that if you are going to eat it, don't cook with it. Use it more in like a salad dressing that remains cold Mm -hmm. rather than in actually like cooking with it. Because when you heat it up, you change it again. You can't change the chemical structure of it again. So I oddly enough, I'm going to equate this to I will not microwave plastic. I don't care if it's it's plastic, if it's microwave safe or not. Microwave safe means it won't melt in there. It doesn't mean it's good for you. No. (laughs) Right. It gives, I mean, there again, another like rabbit hole of everything that it gives off chemically. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I've always done glass. Right. So so that's my point about that is just that, and uh, Jenny ties it in a nice bow. These oils are processed. Where this one oil that I've chosen, um, uh, extra virgin olive oil, cold fermented, so it's not it's not changed by heat, right? Um, that that seems to be fine. Like I don't have any issue processing that whatsoever. Right. Uh, so. Right. And I mean, if you broke it down further, a lot of it has to do with why do we why do we need some of these? Well, we're looking at the omega the omega fatty acids kind of coming from some of these products. And there are different types of omega fatty acids. There are omega threes and there are omega sixes. And you're supposed to have a certain like ratio of these coming in one versus the other. And unfortunately these oils actually have a very high percentage of omega six, Yeah, which we don't really need a high percentage of omega sixes. I have to tell you again, I have no, no education to speak of, but in my mind, at least butter is, like it's it's from a cow i mean like i right. can at least feel that way about it you, you know what i mean um and uh, i don't know i i feel weird talking about this because again i am like if you saw me you'd be like well there's a guy who's not out of shape and not in shape <laughs> you know like i don't i don't i'm not a i'm not a bodybuilder i don't I'm, i don't think that way about myself i don't think i'm interested in it but i can tell you that i've seen it with arden i've seen her eat stuff that's processed and it makes things more difficult. And I've seen it in my own body. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's just worth, 
it's just worth thinking about while you're doing this. Like, I'm not saying you're going to be able to talk your four-year-old into not eating Cheetos, but Cheetos are not food. Like you have well, to and if they're that. everyday versus yeah, right. Gosh, I want Cheetos because we're on vacation and we're going to have like sandwiches on the side of the road, you know, and a wayside snacking. And okay, right. but yeah, I mean, kids don't. Nobody needs Cheetos or Doritos or yeah. I mean, like calling out big brands here. But yeah. truly, I mean, if you read any of the books that are really about um, like mindless eating, and mm. all, they all prove points of research that companies make quote unquote food, which isn't real food, taste better than it would actually taste without salt and sugar and flavorings added to it. And that what it's what hooks you. Yeah. Makes you want more. Yeah. I mean, it makes could, you want more. We could talk about if you cut sugar out of your diet, you'd go crazy in the first couple of days until it was out of your system. You'd have cra- yeah. you'd have incredible cravings and you know, all, all that stuff. So, I mean, to, to try to keep it in the, into the diabetes realm, I guess, and, and keep it around that it, it just, you just need to be aware of it. Like, again, if you want to eat Cheetos all day long, I'm sure there's a way to bolus for it. And I'm pretty sure that way exists in this podcast. It'll explain it to you. Right. Right. But you can't, I guess where this episode comes from, for me, or where my perspective comes from is that I hear from so many people, and I'm sure Jenny does too. And at some points, it's frustrating to hear somebody say, I need you to help me. My stomach hurts. Oh, what, what, what did you eat? I ate a rock. And you're like, well, <laughs> well, don't eat rocks. Don't eat rocks. Like, like, I don't know what, like you know, what can't I, you, they told me you could get the rock out. Like, okay, well, I guess we can, but like, let's not do it again. Um, you know, I'm not going right. to tell you that I, I was at a picnic the other weekend and I brought my own food because I like there's part of me like I'll do it so that like I knew there's something there I could eat. Right. But I still. That's my trick. I always do that because I'm like, I know what I can do because I know what I added to it. I'd be (laughs) happy to make something. uh, Right. Which means I want to eat while I'm there and I don't want to be sick like five hours after I leave. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I rolled past the bowl once and I looked because you brought it up and I was like, God, Doritos. When's the last time I had Doritos? It's like, I don't think it's been in forever. And I took about four or five Doritos and I ate them and I was like, hmm, okay. And then that was it. But I saw a person living next to those Doritos and their arm like just kept going back and forth, you know? And because that stuff is like, like you said, some of these foods you have to understand. I'm going to go off course for a second. I once tried to explain to my younger brother that I wouldn't smoke a cigarette if for no other reason. Because I could imagine 12 really rich people sitting in a conference room laughing at me for buying their cigarettes. And and so there's sort of that processed food thing makes me feel the same way. Like, I know for sure they make that food so that your body is just exploding at every pleasure center when you have it. Correct. And they don't care if you can't get your blood sugar down later. or And, and you know, I've worn a CGM. And everything we talk about on the show, everything around insulin, I saw impact me with a working pancreas. I saw what happens if I ate late at night and I I chose poor food. My blood sugar would sit at 110 all night long. Right. You know, I saw what happened. Versus where it would naturally sit. I mean, some people would be like, oh, my God, 110. How yeah, horrible, right? right? But my but, pancreas I mean, works. So, years, right. Yeah, yes. yeah. I 110 for nine hours because at 10 o'clock, I mean, I did it as a test. But at 10 o'clock, I said to myself, well, I'm going to eat this thing and see what it does to me. And just right. like we talked about, I went to sleep. My body slowed down. Digestion slowed down. The food stayed in my stomach forever. And it kept driving up my blood sugar. So yeah, that's it. All right. 
This got out of hand. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't think so think it was great, actually. But um, <laughs> yeah, for anybody who wants to read about it, the 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 doctor that I saw um, called the the oils the hateful eight. So I think if you Google hateful eight oils, you'll find it. It's not. And a, I bet whatever the doctor was referring to also included things that are very relevant to diabetes, including things like chronic inflammation. She was talking a lot about um, the metabolic impact of the, yeah. of the oil when I yep. remember saying her. Yeah. And that has a huge component to diabetes management and insulin and what you see happen and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. And don't forget to head over to the T1D exchange and fill out that brief survey. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 or a U.S. resident who is the caregiver of someone with type 1, they need your help. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. It only takes a few moments. If you're looking for a great online community around diabetes and using insulin, look no farther than the juice box podcast type one diabetes private Facebook group. It is completely free to join and has over 13,000 members. People just like you talking about type one strategies and so much more. Go find it now on Facebook, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing the show, for being wonderful listeners, and uh, for whatever else you're doing out there to support the show that I don't know about. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.